0: This is uh, the Hip Hop Humble Podcast, Episode 14. Thanks for joining me. I'm so pleased because right now I have the humble hip hop legend in the studio, and I'm talking about Eli Fowler. What's up, Eli? What's up? Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you've been doing hip hop around here for decades. I've got a lot of respect. You have Taking the game to new levels with the music that you've dropped over the years. I was just listening to some of your music, streaming and on physical, and it's just so crazy to me. I'm so blessed to be able to listen to dope music that you've dropped over the years. Thank you. Yeah, man. So I wanted to get into the history of what you've done and your music and your click... And the iterations and how things have changed over mm-hmm. the years, what stayed the same. Are you doing stuff with like are you going to Word, Word Humboldt every now and then, right?
1: I've I've been to one Word Humble event. Okay. I uh I haven't spoken at any. Um but I got oh, okay. a lot of respect for Dylan and the whole Word Humboldt community and what they're doing. I mean I yeah, see same. what they're doing and I I love it, you know. I uh I do have a history of poetry. I did a uh like a bi monthly uh poetry show at a place called Persimmons in Redway for a few years where I would just go up and do like three or four hours and uh you know, jokes here and there and and mostly poetry with a theme, choose a certain poet or a certain theme and just kinda of run with it throughout the night while people ate dinner or did whatever they were doing. And through that event I ended up meeting some awesome people like Kaleo son To One who eventually came and recorded his album with us at SHC Studios and like so I understand. You know, I I I know that poetry in and of itself is an art form, but the community of poets is like a really strong, tangible thing. So I got a lot of respect for Word and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
0: definitely, definitely. That's dope that you were doing poetry way back and actually started a poetry. You know, you said it was a class or like a series of events. It was.
1: I mean, it was just a a, a show that I was doing uh, at a certain like. Venue slash restaurant. So people would be like eating dinner and we'd be, they had a stage and we would just be doing our poetry thing kind of like once every two months, three months, something like that. So yeah, it was a good time.
0: Nice, nice. About how many years ago?
1: This must have been back in 2013, 14, something like that. Probably when I first moved back to Southern Humboldt from Eureka after living in Eureka for so many years. Nice, yeah. nice. Now, that leads me to
0: ask about other improvisation work that you've done,
1: right? Um, well, that is a that's a big part of my background. So my whole thing was always um, stage performance, right? Before I was ever like doing any sort of any sort of music thing, I was always into again poetry and plays and stand up comedy and physical comedy and improvisational comedy, and those were always kind of my my passions as a, as a young kid. Um, and music was always just something that was really easy for me to tap into emotionally. Um, so when I was able to put those two loves together is when I kind of found a vehicle for myself as an artist. Um, when I first started rapping, it was, you know, and I put rapping in quotes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a stage performer. I don't consider myself to be a rapper. You know, I'm not a rapper's rapper. I'm not, I'm not going to, um, I'm a guest in hip-hop, you know, I am a, I'm a fan, first and foremost, as we all are, you know what I mean? Um, so for me to even be able to get on a stage with a microphone is just still, to me, t- 20 years later is a gift. So to be like, I'm a rapper, is just, it feels so shallow, in a sense, you know what I mean? Because there's so much ego behind that, which I've always battled against, which is a big part of improv. You can't have an ego when you're improving. Right, you got to say yes and collaborate with other people. Right, so it's all about positivity and lowering your ego and your expectations for yourself, and then you're able to open those doors and explore artistically. You know what you might not find if you were holding back and thinking of yourself inside that box. You know, so me and my friends, it goes back to the Melody Trailer Park in Redway, where we're, where I'm from, born and raised, my hometown. You know, I was really lucky that. Being from Southern Humboldt, I mean, if we want to take it all the way back, which I assume we do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I I I
1: love it. I had a lot of things going for me as far as, like, being a creative person in this world. Um, My dad was a a hippie full of wanderlust for many years. He traveled all over the globe, Uh, the Middle East, Europe, Southeast Asia, you know, north africa and and he eventually met my mom who was a english major from new york so they traveled all over the place together so they eventually settled here in southern humboldt and uh throughout their travels they picked up a lot of artistic wants and needs and a lot of you know different things that they fed on and then dispersed to their children so we had a lot of cool stuff in our house a lot of good food a lot of good music and i had a record player in my bedroom where I had my, you know, my my Raffy Baby Beluga, and my uh, Puff the Magic Dragon, but then I also had moms, you know, Jimi Hendrix and The Doors and Zeppelin and and Aerosmith and all of her records, right? So I was listening to that stuff from a young age. And then my I got introduced to Rick James, I think, in the fifth grade is when I first heard Mary Jane. And I was like, oh, okay. Because not only is this like entertaining and amazing musically but it taps into something that i could relate to because i'm a little stoner kid from redway and at that time like your identity is is whatever's around you right when you're just a little kid it's whatever you can see that's who you are Mm -hmm. and that's where i was at the time Um, so it all started With that, and then you get into, you add like a little bit of poetry and the improv comedy and you start doing improv workshops and you mix in a love for music and you're like, well, how can I, you start doing plays and you're like, well, I love doing plays and I love stage performance, but I hate the concept of a fourth wall. I want to be able to interact with the crowd. I don't want to pretend like they're not there because their energy is making what I'm doing so much better. You know what I mean? So how can I break down the fourth wall and improv and do music? Oh, I can freestyle rap. Right, So me and my friends start freestyling in the Melody Trailer Park. Rest in peace to Brando. Um, that was like me, Brando, Seth, for Mika's son. And uh, we'd just start freestyling. That was kind of our thing. We'd just be hanging out. We'd listen to OutKast and Spice One. And uh, at the time, our friend Dean, much love to Dean. He had, he, he had the biggest collection of No Limit. Because remember, Master P had every album he put out every album that there was there was like a hundred no limit albums at the time Mm -hmm. that he put out in the span of three years and dean had them all and so we were listening to all the and so that inspired us not only musically with the outcast and all that south stuff and with the bounce of the bay but then like there's this guy master p who was just hustling you mix that with too short and you're like oh you can sell cds out of your trunk like so we start freestyling and uh in the classic kind of so hum fashion one night we go to a house party well, i guess i should run it back before this some friends of mine had shown me the humble kind of freestyle kings album so i had heard of them right but they weren't really on my radar um because i was i was so deep into Nas and talib kwali at the time mm-hmm. right i was just i was getting super heady at that point in my life and uh so we went to a house party and the freestyle kings were there the full live band and we're just there hanging out rocking out to the band and my friend G Davis was the percussionist for the Freestyle Kings and I was smoking a joint and they took like a break in the song and I I went up to to Galen and me and him are smoking a joint and one of the MCs of the Freestyle Kings turns to me and he says hey I gotta take a piss hold my microphone and then the band strikes up so I'm like well bet I got this microphone I'm with my friend he's part of the band I think I got you know, carte blanche to kind of do what I'm going to do, and uh, and uh yeah, I rocked that, that party, and then they inducted me into the band, so all of a sudden, I'm like, in a band, which was never something that was my goal, right, I was still like, I want to be a comedian, I want to be an actor, I want to be on stage, and I want to perform, and I want to, so like, being a rapper was like, here, now, wear this, you know, wear this outfit of the rapper when you're 15, and it was like, it was a, a great kind of you know, throw me in the deep end learning experience. You know what I mean? So For
0: real?
1: I get put into the Freestyle Kings. I get put into, they inducted, they allowed me to perform with them. You know what I'm saying? These guys were rocking shows. They said, come on stage, come play with us. It was, it was an amazing experience, a great gift. And through that, I met, you know, Swizz and Just One, obviously, who I'm still working with today. Not to mention all the other members of the Freestyle Kings. Um, so yeah rocked with the Freestyle Kings for a couple of years and at the same time I still had my homies Mika Sun and MC Problematic Brando Fur We're still freestyling together in the trailer park all the time so we had a band we had we had a couple of like bands that we had put together me and Mika put together a punk band called Rotten Egg Explosion where we had one song and we would play at house parties yeah, it was extremely obnoxious and then, uh, our buddy Luke came in and started playing drums, and that freed me up to grab a microphone, and then I started rapping, and it became like, okay, we're gonna do, like, a rap thing, just like I'm doing with the Freestyle Kings, right, we'll do something like that, um, and at that point in, <clears throat> in high school, I wasn't even allowed in the music room where a music class was taking place, I had been banned from a music class, um, much love to that teacher, and, uh, and to his credit, he probably was right for doing that. So I wasn't really musically inclined. It was like, okay, well, Mika's in music class. Luke's in music class. Galen's already a musician. We know Swizz. We know Justin. I'll just write stuff and we'll put some together. And so in sixth grade, you know, I'll throw back a couple of years. In sixth grade, I met MCP, problematic. Him and I became best friends right off, the, right off the bat, first day. He was already writing, he was already, you know, in. Just infatuated with the artistic charisma of Tupac, as we all get at some point in our lives, right? If you're from California, that's gonna happen. That's right. Um, And so P was already writing like a nut. And one of his teachers at Whale Gorge School before I ever met him was Manifest, Pistol Pete, who, you know, technically was like the first rapper in the Humboldt County hip hop ethos, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Um, got to give him his credit. And he was a teacher of Paul. So he kind of put Paul onto a little bit of game. And, and so when I met Paul, he was already writing and I was writing my poetry and it was like, well, let's, let's, we start freestyling and writing together. And then he, me and Mika are doing our thing and P came in. So we had our little click, you know, and then the freestyle Kings disbanded and we stayed in touch with Swizz and just one and, go down to LA much credit to just one letting us just crash on his couch much credit to swizz letting us crash in his space and we'd go down to LA and record what ended up being our first like three albums four albums um and that was a great that was a great time and then of course at that point the whole idea behind recording an album was like well let's record an album so we can learn it with a band and perform it live. Because that's that's what I wanted to do. That's what we wanted. That was our whole background, right? So it was like, okay, Swizz is an excellent musician, first off. But he's also an amazing communicator. And he's he's a, a bridge builder. He's a facilitator. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like, bet. We got Swizz. He's going to open all these doors to us. He's going to bring in musicians from the Nucleus. You know what I mean? So I start roading for the Nucleus. They start back and forth you know we're playing with just amazing musicians uh, Chris Boa came in started playing sax um, and that that ended up building subliminal sabotage so it was like we had eventually what became like a 12 piece band you know with Beryl Alexander on vocals we had Mike Lee on cello you know G Davis again on percussion just one uh, and the Nucleus as kind of the core rhythm section much love much respect and uh and then we built our subliminal sabotage thing. And we because we had been doing that together for so long, I knew Swiz. Me and Mika had our thing with me and Mika and Paul and, and Galen, and then we we just hit the ground running. You know what I mean? As soon as we put the band together, I was like, Bet, we got shows, let's do this. So we instantly we just started playing HSU and Reggae on the River and the Mateel and just doing like the biggest venues we could, and then all the venues, and then of course the Red Fox Tavern, which at the time was like our wow, home base, you know what I mean? I think we did something like a hundred shows there over the course of two years. It was insane. Nice. Um, And so, you know, we went hard with Subsab for like three years. Until that, you know, until that band broke up and disbanded. And then uh, after that, I kind of had my own mental down spiral. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't write or record anything for two years. I didn't freestyle. I didn't touch a pencil. I didn't do anything. And then, uh, of course, you know, I, I knocked my teeth out (laughs) and that was, (laughs) that was a big rock bottom moment. One of them, right? Anybody who hits a rock bottom knows that it's more than one stop. Um, so I had my teeth knocked out and that's when my good friend Mental Case came to me and was like, dude, you know, let's write a fucking album together. Let's write a project. So him and I sat down, we would write a song over the course of a week, you know, debating every word, every line, writing them together, every single one until we wrote the whole album. And then we said, okay, let's, let's start to record this. You know what I mean? Let's record these songs. And then as soon as we got in the studio, we would break it up into lines or sections and just kind of highlight it real quick at the last second, be like, you do this, I'll do this, you do this, i do this. And then we'd have two microphones at the same time. And so we were like feeding off of each other in this room. And, and that's what created the, the, how we do this album, which I'm extremely proud of, mm-hmm. you know,
0: that album is fire.
1: It's a great album, mm-hmm. you know? And at that point we had done, you know, in LA we came out with the chapter one introduction most of what became Mika Sun's Strategic Vision, um, MC Problematics, I'm In Love With Death, and then a lot of what became Beast Swizlow's Future Hits that Humboldt shit, and then also the Nika Volume 1 album. So we had albums under our belt that we were putting out. Um, so we, we did the How We Do This project. We put a band together of me and Mental Case and then... Um, joby one of uh dead elephant parade and uh vo chiba four star bravado and and joby one's little brother rotten robbie we put a band together called highland court and uh we did i think we did two shows maybe one show we practiced for a year two two days a week for a year did one show and broke up but we were tight we were we were super tight it was a lot of fun um so then after that, that band broke up, and uh, it wasn't that long after that that I ended up moving back to Southern Humboldt from Eureka. And uh, when I got down to Sohum, there was a group of kids living next door to my parents who were, who were starting a band. And I was like, Bet, well, you're on Parr Avenue. You know what I mean? This is like my turf. You're on Rap Backwards Avenue. I'm going to be in the band. So I kind of like, I, I hate to say it, but I kind of shouldered my way into their group a little bit. They had already been doing their thing. I shouldered my way in. We did a, uh, a project together, the Cyclops Lost EP, and uh, tour, did a couple tours and played a lot of really fun shows for a couple years. And then I, I was unceremoniously kicked out of that band. Much love to those guys, whatever. It was Again, it was probably warranted, you know? Because I, I was drinking heavily this whole time you know so it was just it was great music and a lot of fun but it was complete chaos you know what i'm saying so it's like that's when you get lost in the concept of improv and always saying yes right and you're like well if i keep saying it 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 snowballs and it becomes chaotic and sometimes that's where you find the beauty that's where the art is that's where the funniest shit happens that's where the best music comes from But it's not the best way to live your life. You know what I'm saying? Because while you might be like having this great ethereal moment, oh, this is so beautiful. Look at all this chaos I created around myself that I'm just strolling my way through. There are repercussions to your actions, right? So I left that band. And uh, then it was like, okay, let's put out the Little Kid Lost album. You know what I'm saying? So we had a, a... Grip of songs that we had recorded from a year, some years previous. We did some new songs. Um, Jatami had passed away in 2007 and so we had a, a verse of his and it was like, well, we have to put this out because Jatami's gone. You know what I mean? We have to put out this album all these years later, which we did. Um, much love to Jatami. And uh, put out the Little Kid Lost album and started rocking that and, and eventually just Back building with the band again, and then you know, now me and Swizz are linking together, and it's me, Swizz, Mike Lee, and Coop, and we start doing the Bayside session, right? That was like a a four-piece acoustic thing that we put together. Because back in the day, me and Swizz used to play for free pizza, right? He would bring his keyboard to Big Pete's, Piciotti, drummer for the Nucleus, yeah, um, and and I would just bring my poetry book, and we would just sit in there and do our thing for a couple hours for a couple free slices and beer and watch the game or something. So we were like, let's take that concept and bring it back with the bands. We got Mike on the cello. We did a couple of shows. They were, they went amazing. It was instantly. It was like, we have something here. Let's put this together. So we started doing our monthly shows at the stone junction under Bayside session. And originally it was like, let's turn the bar into a living room and have like a jazz loungey kind of thing. But As you said before, before the interview, there are so many talented musicians in Humboldt County. You know what I mean? And like I said, Swizz is a facilitator. He's a bridge builder. And at that point, I had always been rocking with live bands. Because I knew from the Humboldt County Freestyle Kings days that the the respect that I'm trying to get is from the musicians. That's the scene that I want to be a part of. Right? You can be a rapper amongst rappers, but it's always going to be fucking elbow to elbow. Everyone's going to be playing alpha. right? Whereas musicians, there's a kind of a mutual respect. And I wanted to be a musician. I want to be a stage performer. That's my thing. I want to be in that scene. You know what I mean? So at, we start doing our monthlies. Word gets out. All of a sudden, we have like the best musicians in Southern Humboldt showing up to this monthly gig. And it's like, well can't not let them play you know that dude's here with his trumpet dude's here with his you know bass guitar we're gonna start rocking for real so it went from an acoustic side session thing to what we ended up calling the special guest family which was just an, an all improvisational uh five to nine piece band where we would just do like four hours of freestyle wow just four hours of making up songs and it's just like band finds their way into a groove, I come up with a concept, make a hook, spit a verse about it, go back to the hook, and try to create like the entire arrangement of a song on the fly, Mm -hmm. so it doesn't feel like it's improv. That's crazy. So we did that for years. Years we did that, every month, Um. until Mike Lee passed away. Um, and then, I mean, we continue doing it after he after he left this realm. Much love to Mike Lee. Rest in peace, Mike rest Lee. In, rest in peace to Mike Lee. Um, and we kept doing it. We, do, I mean, we're still doing it. We're still doing it to this day. Um, and of course, you know, during that whole time, Swiz has this vehicle that he's building of object heavy. Right. They had already been picking up steam over the course of those years, which I'm sure he got to in his podcast. And uh, so it was it's always been synergy. Right. Me and Swizz, we refer to each other as twin. That's that's my brother. You know what I mean? My unbiological twin. He's he was he's my twin brother born 14 years before me. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yes. Yes. so start rocking with object heavy and 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 that's pretty much where we're at now you know and then um this latest project that I'm working on was like well I say this when I'm on stage all the time music is reciprocal in nature just like any form of energy right so if we make the music and play it to an empty forest and nobody hears it does it exist it has it, you can't play music in a vacuum so You have to perform for people. People have to receive it. They have to give you back energy. And this is how things evolve and grow. And you find out what makes sense and what doesn't. And so in that vein, it was like, well, years have gone by. We've come back full circle. I'm rocking with Swizz. I'm rocking with Just One. I'm rocking with Mika Sun. Let's put out a Me and Mika Sun album to celebrate our 20 years of writing music together since we were children in high school in the Melody Trailer Park. You know, it all starts with a melody. Uh, shout out to Rod Deal, and the ideals, and uh, and so that's what we're working on now. is the write up project, um, with with Just One and with Swizz doing production and G Davis doing production. We got problematic on there. You know what I'm saying? So it's nice. And 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 uh, you know, shouts out to Tucson, who was one of the originators of the Humble County Freestyle Kings, and and. Um, certainly helped pivot that band in a new direction and helped pivot my entire life in a new direction. Shouts out to Chrissy Mooney for doing the same thing. But, so yeah, it's it's crazy how it's come full circle. So that's basically the whole, that's the gist of my tale. You know what I mean? Like I said earlier, there are branches we could go down and certain avenues we could explore, but that's that's the linear path that my life has taken so far. Um, and it's all because of improv. It's all because of improvisation. Um... I would say these days rarely do I get to do a set of my own songs. If I walk into a bar and a band is playing uh, and I'm friends with the, that band, they won't even give me a second to breathe. They say get on stage right now, and I just have to walk in and get up and go, and then I can relax and watch the rest of the show. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? And it's gotten to be that way, and uh, and it's a it's a blessing and a curse. You know, I I got so much. I was I was given so much through the gift of improv, which is something that I, like you said earlier, the talent was there, but the, there's talent and there's skill. You know what I mean? So I had like this raw thing, but over the course of those years, especially with Special Guest Family and just rocking with every band you can think of and every venue you can think of, you know, um, I would say, you know, my my biggest humble brag is probably that out of all other... Local MCs, I may have performed locally the most. You know, through virtue of doing poetry and stand-up comedy and then my monthly gigs and rocking with five, six different bands and then performing with 20 other bands, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, and I say that again, it's a humble brag. And that's not something somebody else brought that to my attention. And I was like, that's pretty fucking cool, actually. You know what I mean? I might wear that as a badge. That's kind of dope. I get to say that, you know? I don't have a lot of accolades for what I've done over the course of my you know quote unquote career, but I can say that. I think.
0: Definitely. No, <laughs> definitely, man. No, you've been very humble, actually. I definitely think you can. I think you can say that, and I think you were really humble earlier when you were uh, talking about uh, not wanting to call yourself a rapper, because I think that your skills have shown that you definitely are a dope MC without a
1: doubt. I'm an MC. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I do. You know, I hate to get like early 2000s, but I do find a bit of a distinction, you know what I mean, between an MC and a rapper. Um, Definitely. I know a lot of dope rappers and I know a lot of dope MCs, and not all of them are the same people. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Um, It's one thing to be able to like, to be able to flow tight with your friends or spit sick in the car or whatever it is, and it's another thing. And not to say that there's any distinction between. What's better and what's worse? Because I've always said that what it takes to be like a great performer is like a mix between your worst written song and your best freestyle, right? And in between those two is probably where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, as the years go by, of course, that you have to use a fluctuating ratio. I imagine <laughs> can't, <laughs> you can't always compare yourself to the first song you did when you were fifteen, but it's not bad to it's not bad to remind yourself that. The ego in like being an, a quote unquote rapper can take over, and it's uh, a big part of what people think of as a rapper is like ego and machismo, and those are the kind of things that uh, just don't interest me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just not. That's I have no. It's whatever. That's whatever to me. I don't care about your ego. I don't. I just. I want to see. You know, find something within yourself that you didn't know was there and then show it to me in the spark of a moment, like a beautiful, you know, Buddhist sand sculpture that then gets blown away in the wind. You know what I'm saying? Castles made of sand sort of a thing. <clears throat> that's what interests me. Beauty in the chaos, but only when the chaos sparks for a moment because like I said earlier, when it snowballs and you're in trouble. That's what interests me. So the ego of the rapper is always... I mean, that's... That's why we love Tupac. That's why we love Tupac. Because he would be out there like, I'm the baddest. I'm the biggest. I Nobody can fuck with me. And then the next song was Dear Mama. And you're like crying on your knee. Like, how can you be so vulnerable and so hard at the same time? And people forget that about him. What he showed us was the dichotomy of a of a rapper. You don't have to fit into a certain box or paradigm. You know what I mean? That's something that always really intrigued me and inspired me so the ego thing you know i get and not and i'm not trying to like disparage rappers that's not my my goal at all i'm a big fan like like i said i'm a hip-hop fan first and foremost that's what i am you know what i'm saying but i just don't have enough ego to wear it on my sleeve everywhere i go and I love that
0: about a lot of artists in Humboldt County, actually, man. Like, the artists that I talk to, <clears throat> I find a lot of them are that, have that same energy coming from their heart. Because it's coming, they're coming from a love for the
1: culture and the community, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think a, a big part of that, too, is just like like you were saying, we're so lucky to be a part of the scene, right? There's so many great musicians in the scene, and that goes, and that ripple effects out i mean that's great musicians there's great artists there's great you know performers there's every kind of art you can think of we've got it here in humble county and there are people that do it amazingly well you know what i'm saying and we're so lucky to be a part of that scene and i think that keeps us humble you know because we also while we feel like we feel the privilege of it and i think while a lot of us as artists want to find success as a scene, some of us want to kind of keep this place still a little bit of a secret. You know what I mean? Because there's that again, there's that uh, that humble brag about it where you're like, "Well, it's the humble scene." You know what I mean? Um. So I feel like, yeah, there's, and and, you know, I got to give a big shout out to in that same vein of just like, there's bit there's a lot of artists around here. Grown up in Southern Humboldt, we had, again, Rod and the Ideals. We had Feet First, and we had all these, like, amazing sage performers and, and Gondasaurus Rex and, and all these things, uh, people that were, people that put on and helped volunteer and throw the Summer Arts Fair and Reggae on the River and all these things that bottlenecked back <clears throat> to the Mateel Community Center. Right? We had the Mateel it's like the Matil was a co- not just a venue; it was a community center where we would sleep upstairs and and you know celebrate birthdays and funerals and weddings and everything you could think of, you know, mm-hmm. and and also see the biggest bands in the world roll through your teeny little town. Um, mm-hmm. And it gives you a reverence for live performance when you're raised in a place like that that is is a community center that holds big events. There's just something about the, the camaraderie and the spirit of like, every show that I go to, you know, between the ages of three and nine, I'm gonna know 99% of the people there and they're all gonna have my back. We're all gonna be there for the same reason, which is like to enjoy this experience and just like pump our limbic systems, right? Because it's like this part of your brain you can only access together. So it's, uh, I don't know, I have a, I have a reverence for live performance or or any performance and uh yeah, I just feel blessed to be a part of the scene. You know what I mean? I feel like I worked worked hard to be not integral in our scene, but at least to like have a voice and to again, try to contribute something. I feel like I've I've made it I've made a valid attempt to try and contribute. <laughs>
0: that wasn't a bro that was success the way i see it man you've done nothing but succeed around here everything you've touched is like midas touch you know you've made it gold i really feel like thank you absolutely So if you're willing, uh, would you get into that performance that you were a part of with Object Heavy and Rashana Ahmad and Knack One mm-hmm. and Charlie Tuna mm-hmm. at the ATL a couple of years
1: ago? I think the it was. The ATL, yeah. That was a big show. Still one of the highlights of my human existence. You know what I mean? Um, like I said, when we were in high school... We, st- we started getting really heady with our hip-hop. and We were listening to Kuali and Nas, and then somebody gave us a tape. It was a cassette tape that we got from Hawaii. And on that tape was Eli and the Grouch, Aesop Rock, and Jurassic Five. And we were like, what is this? What is this? of hip-hop that we didn't even know existed like what is this realm that we're about to dive into so of course we get really heavy into all that stuff and uh we love jurassic five because it's i mean it's who doesn't you know what i mean uh just the the production is amazing. The MCs are amazing. The barbershop harmonies are amazing. The songwriting is amazing, and of course, you got Charlie Tuna's voice. And it's like, fuck, these guys are our heroes. You know what I'm saying? So we were in high school. We go to we go to Mika's house one day, and his mom tells us uh, we won. I won concert tickets on the radio. We're like, what what concert tickets? She said it's a it's an orchestra. I'm like, what orchestra? She said it's the Jurassic Five Orchestra. I was like, let me see the tickets gives me the tickets. I'm like, this is in an orchestra and we're taking these and we're going to the show. So (laughs) we go to the show. We had a blast. Again, shout out to Brando. Rest in peace. Love you. He was there with us. We saw Jurassic Five and Mika had a Jurassic... He went went and bought a big long sleeve Jurassic Five t-shirt and had it signed by the whole band. And we got back to his house. We pinned that thing up on the wall. It was our shrine. We would write to. We would record it on a mini disc that was sitting on a dresser below that shirt, you know what I mean? Fast forward, you know, and again, I'll say it, I'll say it, I'll say it till I die. Swizz, he's a he's a door opener, he's a facilitator. So, Brian, uh, through Fat Bull, through Object Heavy, Brian links up with Charlie Tuna. Um, takes me down to an Emerald Cup after party, and he's like Charlie Tuna. This is Eli, and I'm in awe, you know what I'm saying? Because they say, never meet your heroes, and I've met a few of them, and I agree with most of that. And when you meet someone like Charlie Tuna, who is the exception to the rule, the guy is as humble and human as you could imagine another person to be. You know what I mean? And he's like, hey, how's it going? It's going great, you know? So we blaze out, um... He allows me to get on stage. I spit a freestyle again, you know, because that's, they're like, get us the freestyle. I'm nervous as all get out, you know what I'm saying? And then, uh, but I get to meet Charlie Tuna, rock on stage. It was an amazing experience. Then he comes up, comes to one of Knack and, Nack, Nack and Swizz's Fapple Cyphers, hangs out, you know, um, did another show with him at Humbrew. Then he's doing a show um, with his band, with House of Vibe. And, And they let me get up on stage at that show. You know what I mean? With House of Vibe. It was an amazing band in their own right. So I'm just like, this is a highlight of my life. Like, you know, side note, I'm like on stage with House of Vibe. And I look down at the dude's keyboard. And he's got a set list from the last tour that he was on. And it's Jack White's set list. I'm like, were you just touring with Jack White? He's like, yeah, yeah, I was touring with Jack. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I grabbed the microphone and started rocking. It was mind-blowing. So I'm already on this high when it comes to my relationship with Charlie, just one got to do a, uh, just one went on an art tour when Charlie released his book and went on the tour, uh, uh, showcasing, showcasing his art in different galleries. I went on, I went with just on that trip, went up to Seattle, to Portland, hung out with Charlie for a couple days. You know what I mean? Just, just chilling, having a blast having a great time in the cold, but having fun. <laughs> um, and then again, fast forward. So, so, I had met Charlie, and, and again, Swizz and Object Heavy, they had been doing stuff with Rashawn. I had met Rashawn, got on stage with him at the Summer Arts Fair um, just after Mike Lee had passed and had just, just an amazing moment where I'm, I'm on stage. Um, I, I had gone out and done a freestyle on a certain song. And I was so hungover. This was Sunday. It was the daytime. I I had camped out and done acid and drank a bunch of Crown the night before. I was wearing a sun hat and glasses and a sweaty shirt drinking Sprite. I was so hungover, dude. So I'm like, okay, I get done with my freestyle. I'm standing kind of backstage in the shade and Rashawn starts doing his song. Breathe is the song. And he's, he's, he's... killing it and it's just creating a vibe and I kind of close my eyes and I'm I'm thinking about Mike and I kind of start tearing up a little bit listening to the song right and I feel this boom I get hit in the back of the head and I turn around and it's a like a banner that somebody had knotted up on the bottom it got caught by the wind and hit me in the back of the head as I'm sitting there crying and I'm like well that's Mike telling me to get the fuck out of your head man like you're in this moment right now you're still here you know, you can, you can miss me and love me and you don't have to be inside yourself to do that. You know what I mean? Feeling emotion, again, back to the ego and the masculinity and that shit. Emotion is human. You're allowed to feel that wherever the fuck you are, which we as men forget a lot of the time. You know what I'm saying? So I'm having this moment. Hits me. I'm like, ah, and I start laughing. I'm laughing at myself. I'm like cracking up. Like, that was so fucking funny. And I look over and Rashawn is pointing at me. He's saying, come out get on the stage I go out there I grab the mic I spit a little freestyle about Mike I turn around and look at the band and everybody's in tears we're all crying everybody's crying it's the middle of a beautiful day we're rocking to a full crowd of people and everybody's teared up and crying I'm like well I didn't thanks Mike you know that was that's the power of Mike. so that's how I got to meet Rashawn it's through performance and freestyle again and then uh Scarab uh object again object heavy they were playing at Enchanted Forest down at the Black Oak Ranch in Laytonville. Mm-hmm. And I went down to perform with them. And Scarab was also performing with them at the time. And we got rained out. So they instead of performing at 9 o'clock at night, we performed at 4 o'clock in the morning after the rain had stopped and frozen. It was so cold. Again, it was everything was frozen solid. So we're shivering, and it's me and Scarabs. like, nice to meet you. And we spit a freestyle, and he's like, I'm out of here. And I was like, okay, I'll stay for one more. And then, you know, bounce. And uh, so I had met these MCs before. You know what I mean? Um, which is a big plus when you're doing a show like that. Because, and of course, you know, throwback to Knack 1. Me and Nack go back. Uh, I met Knack 1 at my very first rap battle. The one of three that I've ever been a part of, four. Um, but yeah, I met Knack at a rap battle back in the day, and it was like, okay, well, you know, and he was doing his stuff. He had, he had a crew. Uh, they were doing shows at the Red Fox, like you know, it was just family. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, well, I know this dude's, he's tight, and then he's cool. And then he's rocking with Object Heavy, and I know that he can hold the mic down freestyle-wise as I'm up there doing my shtick. So him and I have been doing a couple of shows together with Object Heavy. We rocked a festival in Blue Lake. We rocked a couple of shows, you know. Nice. Um, so me and Nack, were, we were already pretty tight. Um, and so Swizz had the vision for the show, where he wanted the show to be a true kind of mixtape, where and. And I got to give credit to Swizz and I got to give credit to Charlie Tuna also for pushing Brian on this idea where there was no r- real headliner. We were all doing the show together. You know what I mean? So we all had songs and we all had songs together and then Object Heavy had songs. So it was a real mixtape vibe. So I, don't, I think Brian put the set list together, I don't know how soon before the show actually started, but I don't think it was that, I don't think it was that long before the show started that he put, put the whole thing together. And he had the vision for it, so he got all those rappers together, all those dope MCs, me and Knack, the whole band, uh, just one, and uh, and he just laid it out. He's like, "So this is what we're gonna do, you know. Show up to practice. Let's make it tight. <clears throat> Here's your slots. Memorize the set list. You know, let's let's rock this shit." And uh, and to his credit, and to the credit of every member of Object Heavy, um, we did. We had a good time, and it was, again, one of the highlights of my existence for me. And I, I watched the footage, and it's cool. I, I, I have a hard time watching myself perform. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I just, I think I'm gross on screen. I'm like, I don't want to see that. It's like watching yourself have sex. Like, it's a good idea, but then when you, in reality, it just doesn't, you know, it's like dreaming about food and then waking up and making it. You're like, yeah, I thought this was going to be better than it is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Really. Um, so I've seen the footage and, and you know, I, I'll I'll say that for me personally, I'll give myself a solid B plus. But for everybody else at that show, they they crushed it. And it was it was a blast, you know, and it was a great um um kind of reintroduction to the ATL for me because I hadn't performed at the Arcata Theatre Lounge uh, in twenty years. I hadn't performed there since the Freestyle Kings. Mm. Um and then I performed at the ATL at that show. And since then, I've done two more shows there. Much m- Big love to the ATL and Booty Shaking Productions. Um, we did a show with Tropicali, and I just recently opened for Mickey Avalon. Had a great time. Um, but yeah, that show was... Uh, it was also the first show that I had done since I quit drinking, which was a big deal for me because I was like, can't. I didn't know if I could do it. You know what I mean? I had a lot of doubts, and so... There was a show maybe a week prior <clears throat> where uh, you know Object Heavy was kind of rocking out and they, they gave me a slot if I wanted to get up a freestyle and I thought, you know, I'll, I'll give it a try. I'm sober, I'm not drinking now. Uh, you know, it's a different, when you're in a bar rapping to a bunch of people, everyone's trying to buy you shots and you're trying to get sober and they want you to perform and think of something on the, you know, there's a lot going on and I was like, I got this and I got on the stage and I fucking crushed, you know what I mean? Because that's, that's the skill set that I have. And, uh, so at that, at the object heavy show at the ATL, I really felt like, you know, not only was I in control of myself and what I was doing on stage, but I was also doing my songs. I wasn't freestyling, you know, I, I mean, I freestyled, I think two songs at that show, but then I got to do two songs of my own shit. And, uh, so again, I had met. Charlie and Rashawn and Scarab. And they all knew that I was an MC, but they had only seen me freestyle. Mm. That's the only thing I'd ever done with any of them was freestyle. They'd only ever seen me get on stage and freestyle in front of a crowd on, with a beer in my hand. You know what I mean? So now I'm seeing them sober and I get to do my shtick. And uh, I mean, I get off stage and Charlie gives me a big hug and tells me how good I did. And Rashawn tells me how good I did. And Scarab gives me a shout out. And, and I was like, that's it. You know what I mean? That's the highlight right there. Me and Mika kind of looked at each other, and it was just like, you know, man, you know what? I might be blacking out. I don't even know if Mika's son was at that show. I might be totally blacking out. <laughs> I'm just, I maybe I'm sitting there backstage just imagining Mika like a, like a hologram, like Obi Wan Kenobi. Just you're, <laughs> you're there with me right now. You know what I mean? Heck yeah. Because it, it, it was so surreal. Um again, you know, scare being of the Living Legends, and, and we got that tape. When we got that tape, that was Living Legends and Jurassic Five were on that cassette tape. You know what I mean? So that mm-hmm. was like uh, the whole introduction to us. And then, again, I was a big fan of Quali, a big, still am, big fan of Quali and a big fan of De La Soul. Um, so I had gone and seen De La Soul in Santa Cruz at the, uh, the Catalyst. And... Crown City Rockers opened for them. They were a live band. They were like a five or six piece with an MC. And I'm like, well, this is the dream. And they have a shredder keyboardist. And I'm like, well, I mean, all the musicians, but that woman on the keys was amazing. Shredding. <laughs> I'm like, this is great. And and Rashawn was the MC of Crown City Rockers. That was his vehicle. And uh, so it all comes full circle. You know what I'm saying? It's all reciprocal in nature. It It really is... If you allow the keep those doors open and those lines of communication open, which again, credit to Swiz, he is, has helped me a lot with that. Being more open and more suggestible while also being clear with my own vision. You know what I mean? Um But yeah, I mean that that show was was something else it gave it was not only like an amazing memory but it it lit a real fire under my feet and gave me like another kind of second wind in belief of myself okay I, i can do this i have been doing this for 20 years you know and i still am like am i good at this you know what i'm saying but uh it's so it's it was just an amazing experience for me
0: that's awesome dude Man, and I tell you, even if Mika's son wasn't there,
1: he was there in spirit, he was. and so was Mike Lee. So was Mike Lee, absolutely, 100%. Mike Lee was definitely there in spirit. Um, you know, again, we met – I met Mike when we had Subliminal Sabotage. Mike was friends with Beryl. And Mike's brother, Dee Lee, was a good friend of mine. You know, and Dee and Lee and his whole crew – shouts out to Cassidy Blaze – Adili's, and his crew, they were like our sub-sab kind of core fans when we would play in Arcata. You know, we had like a a good solid group of fans, and, and David was definitely a part of that. And so, Beryl said, well, David's brother plays the cello. Mike comes in one day to our band practice at, at Fire Planet Studios in Arcata, and, uh, kind of comes in meekly and sits down with this big old cello before the electric cello, his big old fucking thing, and we're like, okay, let's see if this works, and he starts playing, and it was like, okay, well, this is what sets us apart. This is what we're doing. This, this just opened so many doors for us. Like We are now no longer um, a couple of like cheesy hippie rappers doing a bad imitation of The Roots. Now we are Humboldt's Hip Hop Orchestra doing our own fucking thing. Because our sound is rounded out. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. even, even the how we do this album, a lot of, a lot of what me and Mika write, I, gotta, I love our music. But I will call it like hippie, feel-good, positive, almost bumper sticker rap where it's like, you know, feel-good-about-yourself shit. And I fucking love that shit. I don't think there's any problem with it, personally. Yeah, for real. If um, <clears throat> there's one thing I learned from Mickey Avalon. It's that if you fucking think it's cool, then it's cool hmm Straight up. Yep. That's all that is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I digress, but it definitely, uh, you know, having Mike Lee come into Subliminal Sabotage, rounding out that sound, and then just the kind of person he was, him and I became instant friends. Um, not long after he got inducted into Subliminal Sabotage... And he started playing with us. Mike was living in Arcata, and I had just gotten his phone number. And I went out one night and got blacked out drunk, and I got beat up. I got beat up bad. I got kicked in the face a couple times, and I woke up in this stairwell in Arcata. And I looked at my phone. He was the only person I knew who lived in Arcata. I just met the guy, and I called him up, and I said, you got to come get me. And he was credit. He sure did. He had just met me and was like, we're in a band together. This is what it is. And he came and got me, and we went and got food, and he helped me out. And uh, so I mean, Mike was down from the gate, um, and then you know Subsab breaks up, and we stayed friends. We stayed working together on the hill. Um, we start doing the Bayside session stuff that we did with Brian. We filmed a couple of that, those songs at his house when he was when Swizz was living in Bayside. Nice. Um, and then we started the special guest family first hump of the month together at uh, at the Stone Junction. And during that whole time, you know, again, Swizz is rocking object heavy. These guys are doing shows. The the band has been evolving for many years. And sometimes they do small sets uh, with just the band, and they're trying to, like, get their songs really tight. And sometimes they do big sets where they're doing bigger stuff. And for those shows, they would call me and Mike. So we were like the hired guns, you know? So there was a lot of times where... It would be me and Mike sitting at the bar together, kind of waiting for our turn. Or, you know, we could commiserate like that. We were, we were both kind of, you know, um, yeah, hired guns is how I would put it. So, <laughs> that's what we would say anyway. But uh, so we, me and Mike, spent a lot of time together. had a lot of Had a lot of great times. A lot of memories. We played at Firefall together. Um, when his amp caught fire on stage mid song and i just smelled this smell i was like what the fuck like who's burning fucking plastic in the middle of the i don't know if you know about fire festival fire festival was a back in the day it was an invite only uh homage to burning man in Mm. fieldbrook right and it would be live bands all day and all night till about four in the morning and then a dj would kick on and and they would be you know acid and having fun and doing their thing. And over the course of years, it evolved into like a strictly EDM thing where they had like four EDM uh, stages set up and then the live stages like put way in the back. You know what I mean? So we performed there back in the day when it was invite only as Subliminal Sabotage. Um, that's where, it, I mean, it was a, it was a great time. Jatami came with us, rest in peace, luck and love that kid. And uh, so we came back to Firefall and performed again. Years later, uh, just as Little Kid Lost, when I put that album out and I put a band together with Brian, with Mike and, and Harry, and uh, we're on stage and I smell this fucking smell. What the fuck is that? And I turn around and Mike's got this look on his face where it's like he's in a car with no brakes. He had this look where it was like, something's about to happen and I can't stop it from happening. You know what I mean? Like this is about to go down whether or not we all agree on it because this is just what is now. And uh, right in that moment, it's the things like smoke and then a flame. And it was like, we're not stopping the song. Just keep fucking rocking. You know what I mean? And he kind of takes care of it and deals with it. And and then just like uh, for the rest of the set, he just kind of stood there in his spot <laughs> where <laughs> he was supposed to be playing with no amp. Uh, <laughs> as far as I remember, I don't know. My Again, my memory is shit because I was drinking so heavily for so long. Yeah, that was an amazing time. So we had, you know, me and Mike went back, and uh, I still remember the day I got the phone call from Swizz telling me that he had he had gone missing um, when he was in Morocco, and then when his body came back, and you know it it was there was about three good months where we thought he is living on a Tahitian island somewhere, just kayaking and fucking rock climbing, and and just. Disappeared from the world. That's what I thought. I thought for sure. Um, Because that's who Mike was. He was just a, a good natured adventuring man. He was fucking funny as all get out. He could do impersonations like nobody's business. He had a great political mind, but he wasn't afraid to change his mind. If you had a valid argument for something or if you had an experience with something that he didn't have... He was completely open to that. He loved to converse. You know what I mean? He was so, he had so many ideas. Um, And he was really down to earth. A great friend. Great friend. Missy Mike. Yeah. So now putting out this write-up project, you know, we have, over the course of writing the project, a lot of my song topics revolve around life and death. Um, kind of in a happy, sad clown kind of a way. And, uh, and so we start writing this project, and we're writing songs, and we're writing them to Mike, and we're writing them about Mike, and it's like, well, we've got some recordings of him in the studio. Let's put him on the album. Let's put him on these songs. Let's put these out as an homage to him, which, you know, unfortunately we didn't do when he was still alive. You know, couldn't hand him his flowers when he was still here, but um, bouquets, U.K.'s, Acres of acres of Roses to Mike Lee. And I'm um, so, again, proud and humbled to have him on this project. It's the next single that we're dropping um, on the 25th. Man, I, I'm looking forward to that without a doubt.
0: Rest in peace, Mike Lee. I think I was just uh, referencing a track that you dropped recently, in the recent months, Resinous, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a dope one.
1: That was a dope track. That was uh, uh, the first single that we dropped off of this new project that we're working on, The Write-Up, is the name of the project. Uh, again, me and Mika Sun, V swizz Just One, G-Davis, Problematic, Tucson. Um, and uh, The Write-Up, you know, again, was a... Uh, the album is meant to celebrate all of us, the five of us, six of us, having been making music together for 20 years. And so it was like, well, we got to have Paul on a song. Got to get problematic in here for a track, you know. So the way the resinous, the resinous song came out was it was a song. We worked on a song. We put it together. It was a cool song. The way the video came out was a much different beast. So we wanted to do the photo shoot for the album cover in kind of a nostalgic 1950s reporter, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross kind of a style. Um, so, uh, we call everybody and we try to get everybody fitted for suits at the costume box here in Eureka. Not everybody can make it, um, but everybody's got gear. And so we all show up the day of. And so we, in process of putting together the cover shoot, it was like, well, we're going to have everyone together and we're all going to be dressed up. So why don't we just do a video at the same time as this cover shoot, which is so... I mean, the expectations that we had set for ourselves, like the goals we set for that day, I couldn't believe that we accomplished it. It was was insane. So we're like, you know, we'll have everybody here, we'll set up, we'll make these sets. I went and got from different thrift stores all the stuff that we needed. Put it together with Kosta Coulter, uh, one's future and just one. And uh, everyone showed up day of. Now again, we had gone out and gotten suits. Uh, fitted, shoes, pants, jackets. We were looking good, right? MCP, we call him problematic because the kid is a fucking anomaly, right? You you never know which version of MCP you're gonna get, okay? Let's go down a little rabbit hole for a second. At my record release party for chapter one introduction that we did in Bryceland in 2005, Paul showed up in a blue onesie like a person would wear if they were changing the oil on a Mack truck right up to the neck zipped all the way up this is in June it's hot as fuck bro Paul's got this onesie zipped up to the fucking neck and we're all just like take that thing off he's like no I'm wearing it he shows up like this at three in the afternoon okay the show's not till nine he's wearing this fucking thing all day finally we're on stage we're performing at the record release party the show's going great We look over, Paul unzips the onesie. Beneath it, he's got a three-piece bright red tuxedo a la Tupac with the bandana, with the knot in the front that he pulls out and puts on, pops it off, Over switches shoes. I'm telling you, the kid's like Mr. Rogers, okay? You don't know. He's he's just incredible. He's out there costume changing on stage. (laughs) What the fuck's happening with this dude? So... We show up for the fucking photo shoot. We went and got suits. Paul went to an estate sale like the day before some dude died in Covelo. <laughs> he went and got this powder, baby blue, breasted tuxedo with the. He looked better than all of us. He looked so fucking good. And it was like, well, here's the video. You know what I mean? It's gonna work. That's when I knew, okay, this is gonna work. So we put it together. You know, we had a, a, a storyboard. Kind of put it together over the course of a fourteen-hour day, and then uh, one day of reshoots, and and a lot of editing and and compromise, and and eventually we got it done, and uh, and it's I couldn't be prouder that the first like real music video that we've all done together, you know, uh, Justin co-directed and, and co-edited it, and Swizz produced and. We've, we just, it was like just synergy, you know, we got MCP in there and me and Mika and it's like, this is what we've been trying to do for 20 years, you know. So that was a, an exhausting day, but also a lot of fun. And the video came out and the single came out and, uh, you know, I really hope people are enjoying it. Um, it's definitely, it harkens back to the kind of like old school sub-sab vibe that we used to throw down uh, a la our live shows. Sure. So if you were, a f- if you went to HSU uh, from 2005 to 2008, I think you would appreciate our new single.
0: <laughs> nice. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Make sure you check out the write up. And that's coming March 25th.
1: March 25th, our new single, Rise with Mike Lee from the write up. Yeah. And the rest of the project uh, is coming out this summer. We've got a new, another single, uh, Sunshine on Your Shoulders with uh, with our girl Becca. That's coming out on uh, April 22nd, um, Friday after 4.20. So we got a couple singles coming out real soon. Nice.
0: Eli, we've talked a lot about improv. I just wanted to ask one question. What are some of your earliest improv influences that you can recall?
1: When I was a kid, my hero, uh, aside from my dad the biggest influence that I had was Robin Williams. Um, watching Robin Williams perform um, was just pure energy on the television, right? So I fell in love with Robin Williams, and my mom says, well, you know, this is like a whole thing that people do. There's a show called Saturday Night Live, and you can stay up till 11.30 on Saturdays and watch it. So I fall in love with Saturday Night Live, which, again, it's a sketch show, but the roots of SNL come from uh you know uh second city and boom chicago and the upright citizens brigade and for me the earliest influences was you know the the comedians you see on tv and then my mom is again she's from new york so she's got like this jewish new york sense of humor and she's like "Well, you gotta watch stand-up comedy if you're gonna get into comedy you gotta watch stand-up comedy so I started watching stand-up comedy, and I'm like, well, these guys, they're not performing for a camera. They're not performing from a script. There is no safety net. There's no band behind them. theres It's just them and an audience, and it's like, this is the most bare bones, balls-to-the-walls shit you can do. It's like, how quickly do you want people to judge you for your art? Do stand-up. Mm-hmm. Fucking first line that comes out of your mouth, someone's gonna boo you first time you do it. It's like, how, how thick do you think you are? being able to take criticism and use that to your advantage. You know, stand-up is a great fucking tool for that. Um, and so, certainly, like, uh, that comedy, uh, improv workshops, yes-ending, drama class, plays, ballet, poetry workshops, um, Camp Winter Rainbow, Clown Camp, uh, you know, all those things together were like, well, obviously I have a passion for something, but it's like, how do I take all of these things and put them into one vehicle, you know, one like creative outlet that I can use? Um, And again, I put use in quotes that I can can utilize, I should say. Um, And so, you know... uh, improv to me, improvisation, and what is known as like freestyle rapping, which I would never claim to be the best at, at all. I just, uh, I'm able to like bring a vibe. You know what I mean? That's what I can tap into. I can tap into the vibe of live performance. I can like tap into a crowd, tap into that stage energy. And that's the skill set that I bring to the table, but I'm never going to be like the dopest freestyle rapper. I'm never going to be like a dope battle rapper, but I can, improvisation isn't about like the technicality that you bring to the table. Improv is about, and, and this goes back to jazz, it's about emotion, right? It's like, what are you feeling right now? Because technicality is out the fucking window. There are no rules, you know? Just let it fly and see what happens, and eventually you're gonna find something really cool. So I think a big skill set that I have adapted over the years is that I'm able to like forgive myself really quickly, when I'm on stage and I fuck up. So when you're on stage a lot of rappers that are on stage, they fuck up, they get in their head. Cause their ego is shattered. They're fucked. They're like, and that snowballs. Now they're just like, uh ah, let me start over again. Whereas, you know, a lot of people like NAC One or J, these MCs that can stumble and fall and then pick themselves back up and, and use that moment to elevate the rest of their performance, that to me is fucking magical. You know what I'm saying? Um, so as a young kid, you start freestyling with your friends and you're like, well, I guess this is probably how every rapper starts, but there's no YouTube, you know? So you go out and you find hip hop DVDs and you're like, oh, well, here's the, here's the famous clip of most deaf freestyling in the park. And you're like, "What? they're all doing it. And he's this good at it? And you're like, okay, well, here's the clip of fucking, you know, Black Thought and Questlove walking through the alleyway in Philly. And you're like, he's this good at it? Which he's only gotten better at. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can say that about any other rapper that's been doing it as long as Black Thought, but he's only gotten exponentially better at his craft. You're like, wow, you can actually, like, work at this like a comedian would work at this, where you take a routine or an idea... And you take it on the road and you get fucking booed and knocked around and bruised and battered, but you hone it and you whittle it down to something that's tight. And then when you get home, you can fucking, you know, utilize that. Um, So that to me has always been just the, the, the intriguing part about it. And now you match, again, the bruising and battering part of being any sort of an artist, but especially like doing an improv or trying to freestyle and how much you're going to fall down and how much you're going to fucking have to forgive yourself. That goes into writing as well, you know, because when I first start writing, I'm freestyling at all these shows. And so in my head, I'm, I'm too young to understand that ego has gotten as worming its way in. So I'm like, as soon as I put my pencil to the paper, I'm going to write the sickest fucking song ever. First one I write is gonna be the sickest song you ever heard. That's not the case. I listen back, and I'm like, these are really bad. These are really unlistened toable songs. Um, but I still put them out. I'll release them under my fucking name. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm like, shirt my growth with me. Follow me. This is where I started. I started doing this kind of a thing, and now I'm doing this other thing. You know what I'm saying? I like that. I like that trajectory. It's like watching an actor. It's like watching Natalie Portman from The Professional all the way up to fucking Thor or whatever. You're like, oh my God, she's still doing it. She's really good at this. Mm -hmm. It's like watching Black Swan and being like, well, I knew she had something in the 90s. You know what I'm saying? Um, So that sort of a thing, like being able to forgive yourself goes hand in hand with uh, just rewriting... And reading what you wrote and realizing that's not gonna work. That's not as good as you thought it was when you took the time to fucking put your pencil on the paper and write this down and then erase that line and then you wrote this one and that still sucks. And you gotta like really critique yourself and edit and go through that whole thing. And and I learned that, you know, through the improv process and also through through MCP. Problematic. Was great at that. Um just just constant, you know, editing, just re editing. So look at what you wrote make it better say what you're trying to say succinctly um, and uh you know these are all like if you if it's just like any other path in life right you you re- you're going down this road and you're just reaching out grabbing tools along the way hoping that when you get to wherever you're going you can use them to build something you know what I'm saying mm-hmm and that's what I feel like I've been doing and uh, over the course of the last 20 years, I've accumulated a lot of tools, and I feel like with this this up project, this next project that I'm doing with Mental Case that's in the works, this, uh, other project that me and me and Swiz have been uh, talking about doing, and then my next Eli Fowler solo album, you know, these four projects mixed with all the videos and artwork that comes with doing that, you know, hopefully I'm ready to actually build something.
0: Heck yeah. I'm going to be looking out for all that
1: right there, Eli. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I appreciate anybody that's been listening to our stuff. Because, again, you know, we're we're small town kids. We're Redway kids. You know, we're from Southern Humboldt. We're the only, you know, it's me, Mika, and MCP. And there are other MCs down there doing their thing. You know, but we're like a hidden little pocket in the bottom of the county. Even though we comprise a very large portion of the county. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of talent out there, and uh, I'm just, I'm really stoked to be able to contribute like all those people we grew up watching on the stage of the Mateel or the Some Arts Fair or Reggae on the River, you know what I mean? Just to be able to contribute and say, yeah, there is a scene here. I can prove it to you. We did it. We made it. It's it's a real thing. You can go out and check it out now, you know? Hands off. I don't have to be, I don't have to go to the show. There's a scene, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm, I, that's what I love about Humboldt County hip-hop. Especially, is like... Because there was a time when it was hyper-competitive. You know what I mean? When it was like kind of like a new idea of... Oh, there's going to be rap groups in Humboldt. Uh, so everybody better fucking buckle up and, and battle each other. And figure out who's doing what. And, you know, play who's on first with each other's egos. And it's such a silly fucking game. And I'm so stoked to be able to go out to you know, the Fat Bull Cypher or under the Samoa Bridge on Wednesdays and see these dudes, like, collaborating and figuring shit out and not taking themselves too seriously and also, like, taking it seriously. You know what I'm saying? hmm Because you can do both. Um. So, yeah, I'm I'm so stoked on that. And just, like, again, all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, you know, seeing, like, Word Humble and just, like, the poetry scene that is... Always been a part of Arcada, but it's like you know, you get some people like Dylan behind it who can just like push it and, and really make a build a community on it. Mm-hmm. I think that's an amazing feat, you know. And uh, yep, I'm just you know, I would, I would, I would whisper, I would barely say that I am a part of that scene, but I, I, uh, I'm glad that I got to contribute towards it. You know what I mean? yeah and that was that was the goal since we were kids.' just like contributing towards our scene. I think Dave Grohl said that right like if you wanna if you want a local music scene, go to a show mm-hmm. support the band you That's know right. so i i uh I'll go to shows I'm always at shows I'm always out seeing different bands, even if I'm not performing and you know a lot of times they'll ask me to but i uh I'm a firm believer in that but like going out to the shows and um and supporting your scene, because it's like, at the end of the day, these are the people that are going to be like the foundation for, you know, your career or your passion or your support system or whatever it is that you're trying to get out of what you're doing. You know what I mean? mm mm-hmm. um, Yeah. So I would, I would just, again, I'm just humbled by it, straight up. Anytime someone asks me to get on stage, I'm just like, why? Why me? Okay, I'll give it my best. That's all I can do. That's what's up. Mm
0: -hmm. Man, Eli, I got a lot of respect for every different piece of the history of Humboldt that you have been a part of, man. You've really held it down as a person from Humboldt County, continue to represent the ideals, the music, the community, and there's something to that, man. Like mm-hmm. it I got a lot of respect for a leader like you in this community that can take the energy that exists for people that want to enjoy music, that want to enjoy stage performances. A lot of people just really like live music, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And you've been an integral part to continuing the legacy of Dope stage performances and dope music in Humboldt County, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Um, And again, like, that... Those things aren't possible without the team around you, right? So it's like, without the friendships and connections and and the musical relationships with Swizz and Just One and Mika Sun and Problematic and G. Davis and everybody across the spectrum from all the bands that I've been in or participated with it's those kind of uh those electrical currents that build the web that a scene can sit on you know what I'm saying so uh I I again I'm humbled to say that I tried to contribute but I did not by any means do it alone you know what I mean I pivoted when I felt like I had to and I would make a different kind of album over here and then a different kind of album over here and join this kind of band over here and join this kind of band over here. Not because I thought I had an amazing array of skills to offer because I just wanted to fucking be a part of the scene, man. I just want to hang out with the musicians. Whatever you're playing, whatever kind of genre it is, I want to go to that show. I want to see it, you know? Um, And so I would not be able to have performed as much as I did or made the music that I made without those musicians and that scene opening its arms to me so I have to give a shout out to everyone that has ever you know, offered me a microphone or a stage or a verse or any of that um, because that's I mean that's it it's, it's music is reciprocal in nature you know what I'm saying that's right you get the energy you give that's right absolutely 100% and that's that's never more obvious than when you're performing a live show fully Mm
0: -hmm. man thank you eli i was really thankful to have you in the studio this evening man
1: thanks for having me man this this has been a blast
0: and you're going to be of course welcome back for more episodes of the podcast so that way we can hear more about the write-up when that's when that's about to drop that's going to be super dope there are so many good things coming in 2022 when it comes to hip-hop in Humboldt County. And at the top of my list is definitely the write-up. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're doing hip-hop in Humboldt County and you like this episode, if you like listening to Knack One, if you like listening to Brian Swislow, and you want to get on the podcast, hit me up. Because I'm trying to make sure that everybody gets a chance to showcase and represent the works and accomplishments that they've done in Humboldt County. I have a lot of respect for all the artists, and definitely have huge respect for Eli. Thank you again.
1: Thank you, and we and we as MCs in our little you know Humboldt County hip hop bubble, we thank you for for shining a light on our microcosm that we've all been like squirming around in in this little petri dish of the world. You know what I mean? And we all knew that there's a great story to tell in Humboldt County hip hop, and it it would take somebody who was interested and invested with a great perspective to be able to tell that story. So we appreciate you taking your time and doing this podcast.
0: Thank you, Eli. I really appreciate that, and I'm definitely I'm going to reflect that back to the artists, like I said, Swizz, Nac, and yourself, Eli. And I want to continue that energy so we can continue to paint this beautiful picture to represent this culture that you guys have created. What's
1: up? Hey, thank you for having me.
0: It's
1: been a blast.